Welcome, and thank you for staying frightful. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, and we're from madwolf.com. And normally, we've gotten used to starting off with a song, have a little fun at the beginning of the podcast, but we, we're not doing that today. Honestly, we've, we've got heavy hearts today as we record this. Uh, we just found out this morning some really sad and shocking news that we're still getting over our our friend uh, and colleague and and senior Brit correspondent when we were having fun with that, Craig Hunter, passed away earlier today at the age of 36. Uh, just incredibly sad, incredibly shocking, and uh, we're still kind of coming to terms with it, honestly. And uh, so we just want to take a minute here and remember Craig. We, he, uh, we got to know Craig through his uh, website, ScreenRelish.com. And, you know, we've mentioned that on the podcast here a few times. We started writing, well, you started writing just strictly horror reviews, Mm -hmm. and then we started sharing with him all the reviews that we write for our site, madwolf.com. And we do a lot of uh, Saturday Screamers. Yeah, and uh, it's a great website, screenrelish.com. He just put his his heart and soul into it. Uh, A great website, not only for film criticism, which we... Mainly, but uh, news, news, trailers, posters, TV posters. stuff. Um, you know, we uh, yeah, we we would get a lot of of like breaking news just yeah. by way of that of that website. It was it's it's a great website. Yeah, and and we got to know him, and he got to know us, and what we liked, and and he would pass on certain films to us that uh, we really maybe would not have gotten to see, right? Uh, especially some horror ones, right? Uh, to you, and uh, but that that's beside the point. That he was just a sweet, sweet man. Yes. Oh and, my gosh, such a nice person, and, and so supportive of us, and and of Mad Wolf, and yeah. you know, just just collaborative like that, and supportive, and just the nicest person. So nice, and we, we always got a kick out of the fact of you know he was there over there in uh, Britain and uh, Newcastle. He would say, not London, uh, and the little terms, the little phrases, like when we would maybe do him a favor and he said, hey, can you review such and so? And we would say, sure. And he would write back with legends <laughs> with an exclamation point. Or he says, hey, can you cover such and so? And we'd say, sure, that would be ace, guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, and just little fun things like that. And he, he had such a nice humor about him and a, a gentleness and a kindness. And of course, he did co-host with us about six months ago. Yeah, yeah. He was our senior Brit correspondent offering his thoughts on uh, on best British horror that we pulled up again today and was listening to in fact i pulled he's he's going to do our um our stay frightful here at the end of the podcast uh just as a tip of the cap to craig so we just want to say uh, to his his wife and he's got a young daughter and, and and passing away anyone passing away at such a young age 36 years old is just tragic and we just feel our, our hearts are so heavy for uh his wife and family and friends and everybody at, at, in the community of screen relish uh We've been going back and forth with, with some of those members today, sharing our thoughts. And we're just kind of, it's just one of those deals where you're walking around, you're so shocked, you don't really know what to do. I mean, when I read, read it this morning, it took, I had to read the, the post three or four times. Like, what? This is, this, what does this mean? Like, is this really what I'm reading? Um, so, you know, there isn't much else to say except that we, we, we really appreciated his friendship. We will miss him. Uh, and, and, and just our thoughts and prayers are with the family. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so we just wanted to, Start off the podcast uh, with that, and uh, rest in peace, Craig. And um, and with that, we we thank you for your patience, I guess, because last week we did uh, take the week off because we're here in a brand new studio. Well, I guess the studio is not the equipment is new, right? The building is is still here, same building, but we have the sweet new setup uh, with uh, with new equipment, and so we had to let the let the installers get in here and pull all the wires and everything like that. So we're in, we're back, we're rested, we're ready. Uh, we thank you for that, and um, we have to go back. 
two weeks ago to the last podcast and some of the reaction we got to best horror musicals, right? And uh, which was good. We appreciate that. And then somehow we got a little support for my side <laughs> of the how Sue argument. That's right, because we've talked about that movie a couple of times, and, and George hates it. And in fact, the first time we talked about it is because we put it on the so bad it's good, which is weird that it made that list, because I didn't want it on there, because I don't think it's bad, and he didn't want it on there, because he didn't think it was good, <laughs> even if it was bad, and somehow it still made that list. And um, but, but John Dean, longtime Fright Clubber, uh, he agrees with you. He says he'd rather watch a string of Mentos ads. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great line and so true because so would I. <laughs> uh, but uh, thank you. I, I remember he, he posted on Facebook that he was watching it. And he said, you know, I will have a, you know, a, a verdict here soon. And, and I said, plenty of room over here on my side. <laughs> so now there's one more. We're an army of two against all you people that like Hal Sue, which is which is great. You like it. God bless you. Uh, so that was fun. Um, but, you know, it's funny because that, you know, that, that movie could possibly have fit into this week's countdown, quite honestly. Yes, it could, because this week is a WTF, what the F is going on with this, these movies. Um, and that's just pretty much, in a nutshell, is you, yeah. it's a movie that you watch and you go, what? <laughs> and uh, there's, there's a lot to choose from. In fact, one from just this year that we just saw recently, and some going back. A few that we've talked about before with good reason on the podcast, and uh, ones that we like not only for their benefits as a, as a genre piece, but just for their out-and-out craziness. Right, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and there are a lot of movies that we have talked about, and probably some that we haven't, that could easily have made this list. I mean, I started with like 25 and then paired back to Fuzzy Math 6. Oh, because, that's right. We've got 6. Yeah, we've okay. got 6. But, but one, Pin. I can't believe, I mean, this, is, this goes to show you how many utterly screwed up films there are possible because Pin didn't make this list. And it's it's WTF all the way. Antichrist. That's another one that was that that Ooh. was on the short list and didn't make it. Yeah. Um, Headless, which I don't like particularly care for the movie Headless. I but don't you either. You do find yourself going, what the? F-? You do. You do. Um, and, he, and we were talking about some that aren't really horror movies that just really really do that to you. Yeah. Or borderline like Eraserhead. It's borderline horror. Yeah. And the first Enter one the that void. I Enter the Void was yeah. the first one I remember thinking, what the that that thing? It's not really a horror movie, although. It is horrific. They have it some is. very horrific images in there. And I always remember, I watched that thing. It was, it was a critic screening, and it was just about, I don't know, five or six of us. And it's like two and a half hours long, and it just beats Brutal. you. Brutal. It does. Brutal. And at the end, there was just stone-cold silence. And I, and I just said, you know, we all can't use the phrase, feel-good movie of the year. <laughs> because we were all thinking it. I mean, just, I, I just felt very few movies had left me feeling like I was just physically beaten up, and that one did. But it's not a, a quote-unquote horror movie, so no. It made me, definitely, when I think of WTF movies, that was on the list. But uh, Yeah, we talked about last night, Enemy. Remember that one? Yes, yeah. Enemy. Jake Gyllenhaal and Jake Gyllenhaal. I love, I love a doppelganger movie. What a nutso movie. I mean, anyone that has seen it, I want to spoil it in case you want to go back and see it, but that... When he walks in the room and opens the door, and I'm not going to tell you what's in there, but you're going, what? What just happened? And then you can find online, uh, on, online, not critiques so much, but explanations of what people think it's theories, about. Theories, theories. Yeah. And, you know, some are, okay, I'll go with that. Right. Why sure. not? I don't know what the hell this is but happening it's, right now. It's, but. A, it's only from, what, a, a two or three years ago? Oh, yeah. Maybe. It's, it's, it is pretty recent, yeah. So, yeah, not a horror movie, but uh, you want to go back and do a real... Just weird as shit. What the F. It's Enemy uh, is definitely one. So those are some that didn't make the list. So let's get to the ones that did. 
And it's fuzzy math for sure. And at number six, one of our all-time favorites here yes. on the podcast uh, for many, many reasons. But we included this week at number six from 2011, the iconic The Woman. This is our project. And it's a secret. What are we going to do with her? We're going to help her. We're going to train her. Civilize her. Free her from herself, from her baser instincts. Do you really think we should be doing this? Do we really get to keep her? We do. This is what this this movie is one of the reasons why we started doing a podcast. I just wanted an excuse to talk about this movie. I <laughs> love it. It's nuts. Uh, it goes places. You're like, where where are you taking me? Like, please don't take me there. Um, it and uh, and just the longer you watch it, the more that is slowly revealed to you. The more you're just like, what the hell is yeah. happening? But there's here? a there's a real genius underneath yeah, there, absolutely. and that that is lost. That's honestly that is lost. I think on a lot of people. Um, and we've talked about it at length, but one of the things I don't think we have mentioned before that of of the aspects of the movie that didn't make it in the final cut, I, I find it fascinating that there was an entire subplot that was left off concerning Peg's sexuality, her psychological state, and a sexual relationship between Peg and her teacher. Oh, totally! Le- that would go into a whole nother a whole nother uh, area there yeah, if yeah. that was put in. So that was left off, and. Um, this one, we I think maybe we first talked about it. We talked about it at length in our in our feminist right um, episode with senior feminist correspondent Mel Starker, and that's I think is fascinating to me that people miss that they they take just the fact that how the, how she's treated and say well how can this be a feminist movie right but they, they I'll, think I'll let it, you take it yeah and, as 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 horror porn really yeah. because because uh, you know this this man catches a feral woman and chains her up and and seeks to. Um, civilize her but he's a messed up human being and you you learn how how messed up as the movie progresses and you know i i talked with pollyanna mcintosh one time and um as we were waiting for a third person to join the call it was an interview it's not like we're friends although let's pretend we are <laughs> um we talked about when this played at sundance and a man stood up and just shouted at her and at at uh, the director like mckay because it, that he thought it was just pornography. And, and you know, it, it's funny. Um, uh, I think the film, and a lot of Lucky McKay's films do, really makes uh, specific, very pointed references to gender politics. Oh, and and yes. none more clearly or, I think, you know, more um, effectively than the woman. Yeah, because the whole, think about it, the whole thing. Look, before they get to the woman... Every, almost every other female character in that movie is being subjected and by men is yeah. being controlled by yeah. men in regardless of of, of what the the uh, instance is they're being victimized by men in different ways she has come up in a society that was not subjected to those gender roles yeah and that's the entire i think the movie is very clear about that the the film itself and not a lot of people realize this it's a sequel to a film called the offspring which is not very good um it's just kind of your run-of-the-mill sort of feral cave dweller um 
you know, cannibal movies. It's it's kind of a riff on um, The Hills Have Eyes, actually. But but Jack Ketchum wrote it, and he and then he wrote this as well. And fans of horror know that name, Jack Ketchum. He he tells you stuff you don't want to hear, but he tells says it really well. This movie is so superior to that, but but it also, I mean, it's still true to it. Pollyanna McIntosh is in that film. She's part of the tribe, and uh, and so she's basically in this one. She's like the only tribal member. She may be the only one left, but it, it's still true to that character. And you're right, she has evolved separately from this other group. And she, if you watch the first one, she's the leader of that, of that tribe. And, and, you know, in this film, she's just collecting herself a new one and she's going to lead that one too. And, and she's probably going to do a better job of it actually than uh, Chris Cleese had been doing. Yeah. And it's, it, it, it also has a, a great dark humor yeah. about it. The family dynamic mm-hmm. in there is just, wow. The cookies? The, yeah. The making, making of the cookies is one of my favorite scenes in the entire film. Yeah, but it has, I think, very clear things to say about the, about gender roles yeah. and, and, and victimization and yep. anything like that. And so, yeah, I would, I mean, just as, obviously, you have you have a different perspective of me as, as a male. Even I can see that it's very definitely a feminist film. Oh, absolutely. Uh, for sure, and I definitely can see that argument. Uh, but uh, there's some WTF going on here. Oh, and it's, my God. We've mentioned before, it's one of those movies that you just, <clears throat> you look at people that have seen it, you just shake your head, oh, yeah, the yeah. woman. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the let's, woman. Let's move on. That's all, <laughs> that's all you have to say. Uh, and, it's, and it's great. It's still one that we are hoping against hope that we can show at our uh, Fright Club Live film series here. It's true. It's, it's hard to get. It's hard to get, but we are holding out. So, Pollyanna, since you're buddies that's right. with hope, you know, <laughs> maybe pull some strings here. That's right. Hooray for tall girls. Of course. <laughs> so that's uh, number six, and that just tells you if it's that low, what's coming. Uh, number six, the woman. Uh, number five, and yep, this one is uh, whew, nutso. From 1993, Bad Boy Bubby. Bad Boy Bubby went on a voyage of discovery. And the world he confronted was funny. Get off the ride, you fucking poopster bastard! Tragic. <laughs> loving. And hateful. Oh, shit! Honest. Cat. And hypocritical. God doesn't like fat <laughs> And totally unlike any you've ever hey, seen before. Bad boy puppy. Is love. Now here's one that almost made our best Australian horror list because um, it's great and it's Australian and it is batshit insane. This movie, oh my god! But um, so weird. It's so weird. Um, it's so weird, but it works uh, really beautifully and mostly because of the the performance of the lead Bubby bad boy Bubby Nicholas Hope he is magnificent and basically he plays a 30 year old man who has never been out of this concrete room where right. he was raised by his mom so if you think of the film Room and kind of turn it off, turn it around a little bit uh because the the mother is there voluntarily anyway um and but but if the little boy didn't get out till he was 30 this uh, you know and and uh you know the performance is spectacular it's amazing because there is such childlike quality about it he's not a good guy but then again i mean he's not a bad guy either he's just he's, he's discovering things yes. yeah and uh, one, uh, one of the couple of things i think were fascinating about this it was filmed uh shot in sequence which you can see why it, it made it easier for for bubby to mimic previous dialogue since he had a chance to hear it mm-hmm. perform for the first time but I, also i love this there were 32 different directors of photography during the shoot so that each new place he went, 
there was a new director of photography, so it looked different, and you had to you, you had to you could eliminate the worry of having to always have the same crew on the set every single day. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Every new place he went, it's like oh, a whole new world is opening yes. up, and it's going to look different That's as well. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. And you know, and it really does. I mean, and 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 it gives the overall film such a bizarre and unique style. Yeah, and it's just every sequence is just so weird. I mean, from the and, minute... The, and, and heartbreaking, yeah. but also really optimistic, when but the also fa- when really the death, dark. The drunken uh, oh priest, the drunken priest is the, his dad, and he's just like, oh, and he just comes in drunk, and oh, daddy, or what does he say? But, uh, yeah, papa or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Kid, you're a weirdo. Yeah, you're, it's, and it's just, it's just weird. It's so weird. Uh, right down to eating a roach that, I guess, was a real roach. Mm-hmm. He ate a real roach, <laughs> so that's method acting. Um, but, uh, and little things like in the, the wheelchair robbery scene, that was actually something that I guess the director witnessed. He wow. witnessed that happen. So wow. that goes in there. Uh, but it's just a string, it's just a, a string of sequences that, that are just so weird, but makes sense in the, you know, narrative of this guy, like you said, who has never been out of this room and he's just got this childlike wonder about what's going on. Yeah. And the, I think the other thing that makes it so, um, painful is, is how he just is, you know, he, he just accepts Whatever happens to him, good or bad, you know, mm-hmm. and and there's a particular scene that you just want to f- kill yourself. It's so, so awful and sad. And it's just this close up look on his face of just resignation. This is happening right yeah, now. Oh, right. my God. Because you can't not think of him as a child, regardless of the fact that he's clearly an adult. And and it's that. I mean, his performance is so, so good. And it carries a film because it's so 100 percent believable. Yeah. And then the whole, of course, icky relationship with his mother yeah. you know that has obviously he's been there the whole time so yeah icky they're close yeah yeah uh so yeah bad boy bubby um weird uh 1993 and that is a uh, number five on our wtf countdown and we get to move to one that we just talked about recently because we just saw it recently it's yeah. still in a lot of the theaters at least at least uh is it here yeah. here in town i think um and it is bloody and it is weird uh, and it is hellish on all accounts, and that is uh, from just this year. It's Baskin. Now, this is actually a long version of a short film uh, the director made in 2013, and Baskin in Turkish means police raid, right. and that is how this whole thing starts. Uh, this group of Turkish policemen are called to, um, what is it? It's a former, it, it, the building used to be a um, a police hangout, or uh, were, were the building that they're called to. Well, I think it, it either used to be a school. Is that what it was? Or a, uh, a hospital or something. Okay, but... Um, they're called kind of for backup, I think, and they go in looking for some previous. Yeah, the the the, the yeah the, the the cops who called for backup. The cops who they called find, for backup. Find one of them. Yeah, they do, and basically it becomes a trip to hell. Yeah. Uh, and wow, once they get down there and they find these rituals going on, and this this little four foot jacked up dude 
who's the leader. He's bald. Yeah. He's so strange looking. He's, and I love him. He's great. I love him. And he's licking the knife and all the stuff that he does. And it's it's just you just keep staring at it, going, "What is going on? And when will it end?" You know, um, and it's not just that. I mean, so it's a descent into hell, and and so that's always going to be weird, you know. And and it's incredibly vividly created. It's it's really really brilliantly done. But also, the film has such a, a dreamy sort of serpentine structure to it. Because you'll be in this in this pit of hell, right? And then all of a sudden you're you're back at the diner table, you know, uh, having a conversation about dreams. Yeah. You know, and then you're back in your childhood. I mean, it opens up with a flashback to you know a childhood dream sequence. I mean, and they and and um, I normally am not a huge fan of dream sequences in films because I, I I normally just find them sort of cloying. But but it's this movie is so uh, hallucinogenic to begin with that it. And, and and it's like a dream, but it's like such a bad dream that you feel like, no, they're dead. They're just, they can't, they can't get reality back. And, and they never make that, they state that explicitly, but you definitely get the sense that these guys are in hell. Yeah. They're just I, in hell. And I think they do a good, uh, good job of making that dream sequence, incorporating it back into the overall structure of the movie yeah. so that it has an, a, a different meaning the second time it comes around. Um, and yeah, it's it is bloody and brutal and uh, and hellish in by by all accounts. And uh, but if you like frogs, <laughs> there are a lot a lot of frogs are, in this movie. There are a lot of frogs uh, <laughs> and, and and a lot of blood. A lot of blood. So yeah, if you can definitely catch this one on the big screen, uh, depending on uh, where you are and if you have that sort of theater, uh, please do. Yeah, because uh, it's 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 a treat on the big screen if you're into this. Bath- I mean, a treat. Uh, okay. <laughs> It's an experience. It is an experience. <laughs> and it's a WTF experience. Yes, it uh, is. Baskin. And, and one of the things the director um, said that he wanted to do, he, he wanted to flesh out the characters to have you really sympathize more with the villain rather than the victims. And I guess if you count the villain as the short guy, mm-hmm. um, I, I, he, he, I think he does that. I mean, he's, he comes across as, well, he's being worshipped, yeah. obviously, down there in the basement. Uh, and he comes off as, he's brutal, but he's almost weirdly caring. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, uh, most of the, the five cops, you start off in this diner sequence, and most of them are sort of horrible, and yes. you hate them. Yes, You know, and not all of them. There's there's sort of the father figure, and then there's the, the point of view character, and they both seem like they're decent humans, but the others don't seem like decent humans. But you don't you don't want to disregard them outright. You don't want to see anything bad happen to them. But, I mean, they do a nice job of painting them as not great people. Right. And uh, and I'm not sure uh, they kind of refer to him as father the uh, Mehmet the the little dude, and he is he's he's very charismatic, mm-hmm. and you know it's like he's trying to help you get out of the situation that you're in. Although right. you know, just like in the witch, you probably shouldn't do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's probably yeah. not a good plan. Yeah, there will be a blade in your eye, by the way. So there's some um, crazy crazy yeah. shit going on, and that's a Baskin from this year. See it on the big screen if you can. Uh, that's number four. And number three, another one of our favorites here on the Fright Club podcast from 2004. It's called There or The Ordeal. And anyone that has seen uh, Colvert, you immediately think of the piano dance, the weird <laughs> piano dance. And that is just one We're of... We're going to do one. We're going to do a podcast of just dance sequences. Just dance sequences. Totally oh, yeah. that's got to be way up there. Oh, yeah. Uh, so weird. Um, and it's all about the ordeal of Mark, this traveling performer uh, who gets is broken down uh, with his truck and uh, 
finds comfort in uh, Bartell's <laughs> kind of farmhouse, and then Bartell really takes a liking to him and oh. wants him to stay. And 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 you want you want salvation to come for poor Mark, and then when it shows up, you're like, I think you're better off with Bartell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so weird, uh, but but so so good, and it inter it invites a lot of interpretations. I think mostly the mystery around this movie, a lot of the discussion centers around at the end when uh, Mark says, I loved you, um, or at least you think that's what he says. And um, there has been discussion that that's not really what he says because if you're watching a subtitled yeah. version, they have to put words there. Um, but yet there's other people that say, you know, in the real version of the movie without the subtitles, you're not sure that's what he says, but right. the subtitles went for saying that I loved you, yeah. which um, in, brings to mind a lot of things. Why would he say that? Right. Um, considering what's going on. So it invites a lot, of, uh, a lot of interpretation there at the end. And there's people who think this is a very Christ-like story uh, with Mark and what he suffers. Sure. E everyone, uh, Bartell and, 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 well, and the woman at the beginning, right. wants to be close to him, yeah. wants him to show them affection. And he's, he's, he goes through this ordeal. So there you have that interpretation of it as well. You know, and one of the things that we have always said from the beginning, I think from the time I reviewed this movie um, when it came out, it's um, um, if David Lynch had directed Deliverance in French, <laughs> yeah. this might be the film. That's, that's a great run. That's a, it's a great summation, I think, because it's so true. Uh, you know, and, and, and it is super weird, and you're never sure what the hell is going on. And, and, and clearly, everybody except poor Mark is just deranged, yeah. just deranged. And there is the dance sequence, which is, which is outstanding. Well, and one thing that, that I found really, really telling, uh, if it's true, at least I found a quote that uh, the director, Fabrice Duels, mm -hmm. am I pronouncing that mm -hmm. correctly, has said that there are, in his mind, there are only two characters in the film, Mark and Bartel. And all the rest of the people that aren't Mark are actually variations of Bartell oh. because everyone is desperate to be close to Mark. Yeah. Just like crazy Bartell. So that, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. And you can see how that's true. Yeah. Everybody, boy, they give him, you know, the eyeball. Uh, well, there's, who's the guy that's out? Who's he looking for his lost uh, in the woods? Yeah. He's uh, looking for um, his. Is it his dog? He's or? looking for his dog, but he brings in like a, like a calf. Yeah. A calf. Yeah. Um, but he thinks it's his dog. Yeah, and, and but everybody is has the just looking at him in a way that's just sizing worshipful, him up. Yes, yeah. worshipful. Yeah. So there's there's so much going on, and that's perfect for for a what the f movie. Oh yeah. Because you do, you're not sure. Like the ending. Did he say I loved you? If yeah. is if he did, is it because he's taking pity on him at the time? Because he definitely what? you you get the sense that he is because you know he wants he wants Mark's help and. We want Mark not to help him, right. um, and and so you do. You get the feeling that, uh, and and Mark's obviously been very changed by the whole experience, and maybe he's a little deranged himself at this point. Mm -hmm. But it's a, a beginning to end. It is just a brilliant and fascinating movie. It really is. And then there's the one scene when he has him um, restrained. He's got him restrained in a very Christ-like pose. Yes, absolutely. So there's a lot of different interpretations, and sometimes that's just good to leave them open-ended, and mm -hmm. you take what you will from it so uh call there from 2004 uh number three on our wtf list and moving up to number two this is one that kind of came out of left field i totally had forgotten about it which is funny because it's a sam neill movie which mm -hmm. you know he's not an international superstar but he's a very well-known well-known uh, actor from 1981 it's possession two men 
and a woman no man could ever possess. Director Andrzej Zulowski, he just died very recently, hmm. um, and and I think that's what in the last couple of months, which is maybe what put me, this movie back into my head. Um, and it is openly and intentionally weird. Like it's not trying not to be weird. It's not sort of just subversive, and uh, it happened. But it's it's you know it opens with uh, Sam Neill's character, and he's leaving his job, whatever his job is. They're not going to tell us, but those people are offering him a lot of money to stay. Um, and you get the feeling that it may, it's something government agency. Maybe he's a spy, or maybe he does government research. It's something something weird about it. But he's got to go home to his wife, and then he goes home to his wife, played by Isabel Ajani. And she's, there is something seriously wrong with her. Just so, you know, but then... Well, he thinks she's having an affair. Yes. Well, she is. Yeah. She, yeah. In fact, the, but, the guy she's having an affair with is the least of anybody's problems. <laughs> um, it just gets weirder as, I mean, just weirder and weirder and weirder as the movie progresses. And the, my favorite thing is the, so, so they have a little boy named Bob. Which is just the funniest name for a kid, I think, and and just the plainest name, and and uh, and Bob is adorable, and then there's just there's a lot of tension throughout the movie. I just kept thinking, it's not that it- I'm lazy, Bob. It's <laughs> that I just don't care. Sorry. I just kept wondering, is anybody properly caring for Bob? Like, <laughs> w- while all of this unseemliness is afoot, is anybody looking after poor Bob? Oh my God. Well. And just to show you how much of a uh, what-the-F movie this is, Isabella Johnny ha- has said that it took her several years, with a years, to get over playing this role. <laughs> I mean... Well, she plays two roles. She does. She, it's another doppelganger movie. But still, uh, that's... Wow. Very, very taxing on her. It's also yeah. very... It's very David Lynchian. It's, uh, yeah, it is a little bit, um, but it's not. It does. It's not dreamy like that. It's just is. It's just very weird. Just weird. It's yeah. ve- very very weird. Um, and uh, uh, Sam Neill eventually meets meets her lover, and he's uh, he's pretty open. Um, he's very. He's a swinger. He's he's open <laughs> to whatever, and he's still not quite weird enough for Sam Neill's wife. I mean, it's it's. I mean, eventually there's sex with a bloody mollusk monster. Um, well, and. It, uh, Depending on well, back in 1981, this was banned in a lot of places. Oh, I'm sure. And it was released um, in the U.S. with a 90 in a 97 minute version, which is about half an hour shorter uh, than the original. They cut they, a lot of it out. Probably the subway scene. I bet they cut out the subway scene. I, the, actually, n- as soon as I say that, I'm thinking of like nine scenes <laughs> that they probably had to get rid of just to screen it. But yeah. You don't don't watch the ninety seven minute. I mean, if you're gonna watch this movie, you yeah, ought to just you might invest. as well go all in. Yes, yeah, it is wild. It's nuts. <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah. Um, but you know what's crazy is that it actually leads to something, uh, given the logic of the film, kind of sensible. 
You know, you you feel like there's there's just this paranoia the whole time, and then there's this so just queasying sexuality about it. It's just so unsettling. And then there's a bitchy best friend with a cast on, and you're like, how did you break that limb? It's just it's just <laughs> full of unanswered questions. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely not unsatisfying. I mean, it it takes you someplace in the end, and you're like, huh. Would okay. you would you agree? I, I see a lot of comparisons to this movie and The Brood. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, su- I I could I could sort of see that. I mean, The Brood it makes a lot more logical sense. Um, but but and and I think that um, yeah, I mean, I could see that. I mean, it's it's very much a it's very much a corporeal horror, the kind of thing that. Uh, um, Cronenberg. Yeah, Cronenberg tends to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. And, yeah. and and of all of his films, I I would say this is the most like that. But it yeah, but it's it's much more it's much more what the f. Yeah, uh, yeah. All absolutely. over the place. So uh and that's about that's about as much as you can say without, you know, um spoiling too much. Right. I mean, it's it's going to be it's it's going to be as most of these movies are, it's going to be open to your own interpretation. Well, that's the thing. Every single one of these uh is pretty much summary defying. There's yeah. no way. I mean, you know, we couldn't even probably give you spoilers because they're not going to make any damn sense out of context. They barely <laughs> make sense in context. <laughs> so, uh if you're up for that, uh number 2 on our list from 1981, Possession. And that this one that leads to number 1 and I've got to, you know, break my arm patting myself on the back because I had to remind you, you did. of this you and did. you immediately put it at, at number one at the top yeah because of we, all- had, we had some fist fights uh, you know on the list as to which one was going to be the number one and, uh, and, and then I then, dropped yeah. this hammer yep. and it just boom right right in from 2003 go zoo <laughs> and of course we got into this nuttiness when we talked about the uh, movies of Takashi Miike uh, and that's why it just always stuck with me. As soon as you started talking about uh, What the F, I thought of all the movies we've talked about on here, maybe none is more What the F than this. Which is, which is in itself amazing because nobody makes more screwy, insane, mad movies than Takashi Miike. You know, Happiness of the Katakuris, uh, Itchy the Killer, uh, Yakuza Apocalypse, which is not very good, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, but, I mean, you know, he just makes, he does make a lot of, of sort of beautiful and violent films, but he makes a lot of insane movies. He does, and the thing about Though a lot of his movies, this one in particular, that you start wondering about, are you going down roads that aren't there? Because you start reading so much into certain things yeah. when there's a good chance he just said, what the hell? Yeah, exactly. Just put it in there. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, he must mean this. And, no, no, just what the hell? Just put it in there. Yeah. And I think this movie is full of those oh, types of sequences. It really, it really is. You know, there will be times when you're watching it and you think, is this, is this like an inverted odds? You know, like, is that, it, you know, you've got, because it starts off as, as a Yakuza movie, right? Like a Japanese mafia movie. And, but the the guy is nuts like the you know the hit is is the former boss and he's he's nuts uh, and then and then you're like well then are we just seeing things as he sees them because he's insane because this shit's insane yeah um and and uh and, and you just wonder yeah where where have we wandered into and what's he doing with that soup ladle <laughs> i think the most common interpretations of this is there's a lot in here obviously about sexual awakening um taboo taboo sexual genders you know um finally identifying your sexual preference um and also just an out and out another like baskin an out and out trip to hell right that's in there but again so many of these things you wonder am am i reading too much into this case in point uh 
the store owner's American wife, now that actress, didn't know any Japanese, and so she had to read her lines phonetically off cue cards that were posted above her head. And I guess she turned out to be hopeless at anything resembling the proper pronunciation. And Mike found that fascinating, and he just thought, we'll just leave the cards in there. <laughs> For just those types of choices. Oh, I like that. Let's leave it in. So that's the danger. Yeah. You're like, oh, well, he must have this deep-seated meaning of this. Well, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe he just thought you it know, was funny. Um, I mean, part of it, the, more than any of his other films, I think, this movie feels like you're just walking barefoot through somebody's subconscious. Yeah, and, that's good. That's a good and, yeah, and way I, to pres- and describe I it. I think yeah. that um, sometimes I think maybe Mike's more comfortable with his addressing his sub- subconscious than anybody else would be, you know? Um, this and Itchy the Killer, there are some seriously wrong sexual ideas going on here that are really only safe in your back of your head. <laughs> You're really only safe to just keep them in your back of your head and ear. He's put them in all their blazing glory on a big screen for us to see. But it's, um, it's unseemly. It's uncomfortable. You just and, want to take a shower afterwards. And anytime there's a minotaur. Oh, <laughs> Any really, you know, things have gone, <laughs> taken a wrong turn somewhere. What did I do? There's a minotaur in here. Um, but uh, the other thing about it is we've talked often about how quickly Mike works, and he just cranks out the movies, and that makes you think again. Well, maybe he's not spending a lot of time with these artistic choices. Just go, go, go. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I think that almost makes him that much more impressive because th- some of these movies this one in particular it does hang together it's it's and also he's got he's got a tremendous um aesthetic i mean this movie looks oh awesome. yeah yeah but but i mean that's again i think the danger of thinking that he spent a lot of time oh, yeah. yeah he didn't kubrick this shit he just <laughs> exactly <laughs> don't kubrick this shit let's just eastwood this shit and get it done uh but but that's but 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 on the other hand, you can't help but start thinking about what is the meaning of no, this. No, you have to. So it, it's such an ironic, uh, you know, it's a, it's such a catch twenty two. Like I want to think more about it, but maybe I shouldn't, and just take it for what it is. Right. But but the the catch all of a, a trip to someone's self conscious or the the dark recesses of yeah. someone's hellish self conscious that makes about as good a sense as anything. Oh yeah, I think so. Um, and, and, uh, and, you know, if, if, if you're in the mood for a WTF movie, basically just, just hit his catalog, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that is for sure the slam dunk number one on our WTF, uh, countdown from 2003. That is Gozu. And, uh, we look forward to, uh, another one of our favorite subgenres, uh, Korean horror. We are going to celebrate that this coming Wednesday night. April the 13th, it is uh, our next edition of Fright Club Live. That's right. We're going to watch Tale of Two Sisters, which is such a brilliant movie, and it is so visually amazing. So I cannot wait to see it on a big screen. I cannot wait. And we're going to count down, yep, the five best Korean horror films. Which, and I have to admit that we still have, the people are still, I mean, number five is undecided right now. I was going to say, at press time, at recording time, it's undecided. So uh, you can still hit us up. Uh, on Twitter is a great way. We are at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, and we're Mad Wolf Columbus uh, on Facebook. Always love to hear from you. We keep conversation going uh, as well on the Columbus Horror Society on Facebook. of That's which K-I-L-L. Mm-hmm. Uh, K-I-L-L, of which our uh, dear departed uh, Craig Hunter uh, was a member, and uh, there's a lot of remembrances going on there today all over Facebook. So uh, we know what we're going to do. We're going to uh, let him 
take us out on the show. We'll leave a little uh, moment of silence, and then Craig will give the uh, Stay Frightful. So, Craig, we thank you for uh, your friendship, and uh, we will miss you. You know, the future of ScreenRelish.com, uh, we don't know. Uh, we'll see where that goes. If, if it continues, we certainly want to be a part of that. Uh, so check out ScreenRelish.com in the coming weeks if you can. But um, definitely hope you can stop by uh, the Gateway Film Center. Again, that's High Street, uh, Columbus, Ohio, on Wednesday. Our next edition of Fright Club Live should be fun. We start with a little happy hour, and uh, we'll definitely uh, toast one to Craig. Uh, and then we do the uh, podcast about 7.30, and then about 8 o'clock we have the movie. And it's one that, uh, as Hope said, you definitely want to see on the big screen if you certainly, if, if you uh, at all are in the area. And uh, we'd love to have you come by. So until then, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends.